you sometimes see relative TSR comparisons versus the S&P 500 or versus these general industry indices. And you really question how much share price correlation, how similarly does our share price move to many of the companies? Welcome to the Executive Compensation Podcast. On this show, we discuss all aspects of executive compensation. Whether you're a compensation committee member, a seasoned compensation professional, or just curious to learn more about executive compensation, this show is the answer. Each episode brings you a focused and actionable interview on specific topics of executive compensation. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors. Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com. Welcome to the Executive Compensation Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Harvey. On this episode, I'm joined by Chris Havey and Jim Kazarian. Chris is a partner working out of Meridian's Woodlands, Texas office, and Jim is a partner working out of Philadelphia. Chris, Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ryan. Today, we want to spend some time discussing the use of total shareholder return as a long-term incentive metric. Over the past 15 years, TSR grew from a metric that was used narrowly by a few companies in specific industries to the most commonly used performance measure within long-term incentive plans. 60% or more of companies currently use TSR as a performance metric. However, after years of growth, the adoption of TSR seems to have plateaued, with some companies even questioning its use. So today we want to explore TSR further and see where can it be used, where can it be used helpfully, when should it be considered, and what are some of its challenges? Chris, I want to start with you, and I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with TSR as a performance metric, but before we dive into the details, could you provide us with a quick overview of exactly what is total shareholder return? So total shareholder return measures the performance of the company in terms of stock price improvement and dividends, and that's combined together to become total shareholder return. The most common approach is to measure relative to a peer group or an index. So you measure your shareholder TSR against a peer group or index. You rank yourself within the constituents of that peer group or index. And a common approach might be you pay 100% of target if you're at the 50th percentile, pay 200% of target if you're at 90th percentile or above, and you might have a threshold of 25th percentile where you pay 50%. And below that, you pay zero. All points in between on there. That's the most common approach where you rank yourself within the constituents and determine a payout from that. And today we're really focused on long-term incentive, the use of TSR as a long-term incentive metric. I assume that's where it shows up most often? Yes, that's correct. It's usually in the long-term incentive plan because there can be anomalies in any one year and you don't want to have that built into the short-term incentive plan necessarily, but there are some companies that use it. It's not unheard of. So Jim, let's talk a little about how common TSR really is. How much is it used and are there specific industries or spaces where we see it more often? Sure, right. So you mentioned in your introductory remarks, 60 plus percent of the market overall is using relative total shareholder return in their long-term incentive performance-based component. It is more common. I have certain industries where you see 90 plus percent prevalence industries like utilities, REITs, to some degree energy where the business model similarity is quite strong. In those industries, 
In some peer groups, we actually see it being used universally or with high prevalence, as I mentioned. But broadly speaking, in the marketplace, we would say that relative TSR is the most common metric. You also mentioned in your introductory remarks that it's used perhaps as plateaued. We'll talk a little bit later on about how some companies are questioning the lack of line of sight and some of the other challenges, which we'll touch on later on, and not necessarily eliminating TSR, but perhaps de-emphasizing it, using it in combination with other metrics to diversify their long-term incentive metrics pool. But ultimately, it's by definition a very shareholder-aligned metric, and there are some pros to using it, and we'll touch on those later on, but I think it's a really simple and effective way to reward executives when they're providing shareholder value and beating a peer group of companies in that regard. Makes sense. So yeah, why don't we explore the kind of the positive aspects first, Chris, and then we'll explore maybe some of the challenges. But what are some of the reasons that a company might want to consider relative TSR as a metric? Yeah, I'd say the biggest positive is really that there's no goal setting. I think any composition committee member would tell you that the hardest part of their job is setting goals and that is even further so for long-term incentive plans where you're tra- trying to set long-term goals. So a relative TSR plan, you don't have to set goals. You're setting those threshold, target, and maximum. Like I talked about, you're setting up a payout scale, but you're not trying to set, well, what's our EPS going to be or what's our stock price going to be three years from now, our return on capital. So that's probably the biggest plus. Also, I'd say you know it's very shareholder aligned. It's very transparent, very easy to communicate externally and internally about you know, how we're measuring performance. It can be very resilient, you know, in up and down cycles, relative TSR can still work as a metric. If we go back to like the pandemic in 2020, companies that had relative TSR were less likely to have to adjust their metrics because the pandemic just threw a wrench in their in their performance plan. So it's a very resilient long-term metric. It's very prevalent, as you guys have just discussed. And I would say while proxy advisors and institutional shareholders don't necessarily prefer it, it does align with how they measure performance in a lot of cases. So they're looking at how you perform against a group of peer companies or an index that's similar to yourself. So it does align with how they think about it. The only thing I would add, Chris, is you mentioned resilience. And given the shocks to the economy from COVID, as well as some pretty substantial continued uncertainty, I think in my experience, my clients that use relative TSR really focus on the resiliency point that you know it works when you're in a recession. It works when you have an uncertain outlook. So it's harder to break the plan or have major issues with the plan that would require a review or an adjustment when you have relative TSR. And that could be a really powerful benefit to using this in your program. Yeah. And kind of building off that resilience theme and expanding it, I think the other aspect is the fact that it naturally adjusts because it's a relative metric. And many times I think companies, they'll be intrigued by the idea of a relative measure But there's really not a lot of metrics that are good at being used on a relative basis other than TSR. But being able to measure yourself against a basket of companies, it automatically adjusts. If times are really good, economic times are good, you're going to have to outperform. And the flip side of that is if everyone is swimming upstream, you're measured relative to your peers. So it's you get that advantage of having that self-adjustment. So definitely some advantages. And Chris, you also mentioned that while there's maybe not explicit pressure from external groups, shareholders and proxy advisors, there probably has been some influence over the years that's that's driven adoption. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Part of it might be a misperception about what proxy advisors want, but I think there's definitely a, they probably played a role in the way they think about pay and performance alignment has certainly played a role in, in its adoption. 
Jim, why don't we now pause and turn back to some of the challenges? Clearly, TSR has some advantages. It's been adopted by a majority of companies. But as you mentioned, some are now starting to question it and have even having challenges with it. What are some of those common challenges? I think one of the biggest struggles, Ryan, when you think about implementing a relative TSR program is it requires a certain degree of, of business model similarity that you feel relatively confident that your share price can move reasonably consistently with a group of companies. Oftentimes, companies think about who are our competitors for investor capital. And so you have to think about that, pick a group of companies that is a reasonable representation of a performance comparator group. And in many cases, that could be different than your compensation benchmarking peer group. And that's okay. It's quite typical for that to be the case. But I would say the top challenge is picking that group of comparator companies. Secondarily, some other issues that often come up, the accounting expense for a market-based long-term incentive performance-based component is a fixed and irreversible accounting expense. There's a Monte Carlo simulation that's required and you determine your cost per unit and that cost per unit plays through your accounting books regardless of what ends up happening with the payout. Now, if you have a really low payout or a zero payout, you end up in a situation where you're taking an accounting expense that's far higher than what value was realized by the executives. But if it ends up being a really high payout, you could have a situation where the accounting expense is lower than the value that was realized. So that could be a pro or a con depending on how things go. The other thing I would mention is that from a line of sight perspective, sometimes it could be a real struggle. We know there are many examples where executives have performed really well financially or operationally. And for whatever reason, the market hasn't rewarded the share price. So there's a line of sight question of, as an executive, how can I necessarily control the share price of our company, let alone the share price of the 30 or 40 or 50 companies against which we're making comparisons? So in that capacity, there's a real question of controllability and line of sight for the executive. So it's not necessarily driving behavior. Uh, it's more of an outcome-based metric. And that could be a, a real challenge for executives to really grasp and feel excited about. I would agree. I think that the number one pitfall I've seen with companies that I've worked with where they've decided to either not pursue TSR or even have pursued it and later on turn back is the difficulty around selecting peers and really having a meaningful peer group that reflects your kind of macroeconomic situation as a company. And in many instances, Ryan, where companies choose not to use relative TSR, it's for that exact reason. I want to maybe shift a little bit and talk about when you could maybe use TSR on an absolute basis. So, you know, the vast majority of companies that use it historically have used it relative compared to a group of, of peers. It doesn't have to be used that way. You could set an absolute goal for the company and say, we want to achieve a certain level of return and we're going to build certain payouts based on that. Chris, it seems like we've seen a little bit of an uptick. It's still minority practice, but maybe a little bit of an uptick in that practice. Tell me a little bit more about when you might want to consider and where a company might want to consider an absolute TSR metric. Right. Now, as you mentioned, Ryan, it's still very much a minority practice. It's not very common, but we have seen some companies do this in special situations. You know, one example might be a turnaround situation where you want to set some stock price hurdles to get back to a more reasonable level of stock price perhaps where some of your investors bought in or where the management team came in board and you want to set those hurdles to set, get to a reasonable level. We've also seen it in special situations where maybe there's a, a moonshot grant or a special award that you're given to a, an executive team that might be in addition to the annual grant. 
or a replacement of an annual grant that you want to set some stretch targets to get to a level of stock price performance or total share return that will be appealing to investors and make it worth the extra value that you're giving to the executives. The challenge with that is with any time you're using absolute TSR is those goals can easily become and very quickly become obsolete depending on what happens out, out in the market in general. So I might set a goal of, I want to get my stock prices at 10. I want to get to 15, 20, and 25. Well, and the market crashes and there's no way I'm going to get to 15, 20, and 25. Or the market just goes on a run and it makes it very easy to get to 15, 20, and 25. So those goals can quickly become obsolete depending on what happens outside of your company. Where I've seen it also happen, occur, or be adopted is kind of as a modifier or a check to say, is the underlying program working and is it creating alignment with performance? So this might be a somewhat common approach would be a negative TSR cap to say, we have this underlying measure, maybe it's relative TSR, maybe it's a financial metric, but if our absolute TSR is negative, we can't earn above target, period. And so it's a check on that to say, is there a reasonable alignment with shareholder, absolute shareholder return in this in the underlying long-term incentive program. That's a simple example, but there are other more complex approaches where you might have a modifier or some other kind of multiplier tied to absolute TSR performance that just checking on the extremes. Are we aligned with what we think we should be doing on a stock price or is there a big misalignment that we need to adjust for? And now, Chris, my experience has been very similar to that. I think outside of the modifier context, the reason you rarely see these as a core part of the regular ongoing LTI program is the obsolete point. In my experience, from time to time, we help clients designing special, highly performance-based one-time or add-on awards. And I would say for all the reasons Chris mentioned, it's much more typical to have an absolute share price trigger in those kinds of situations because you're providing incremental dollars for achieving a very special outcome. And the obsolete point is not as relevant in that context. And so the share price trigger-based awards, in my experience, can be found much more commonly in that sort of special award context. I would agree. I think that's where I've seen absolute TSR is really helping to justify a large special award. And you can definitely do that. You can create that alignment. But to both of your points, you can also quickly find yourself way out of any possibility of earning it if the stock price doesn't track accordingly. So be prepared for that. So I think both of you have alluded at a handful of things that are probably trending in the marketplace right now. And you both work with a number of clients in a lot of different industries. So just curious, what are some of the the trends, the conversations you're having, the things that you're seeing develop related to TSR and its use in long-term incentive plans? Maybe I'll kick it off here, Ryan, and Chris can jump in as well. I alluded to a little while ago a de-emphasizing of relative TSR in programs. And I think both you and Chris touched on very early on, especially when sale and pay came up and when there started to be more scrutiny on executive pay programs and the influence of ISS, Glass-Lewis proxy advisors was sort of increasing, a lot of companies got the impression that there was a strong preference in the marketplace from multiple parties that relative TSR was a really important metric that they were looking for. I think to some degree that's fair and applicable, particularly for investors. On the proxy advisory front, as Chris alluded to, I think it's more around being consistent with how they measure and how they assess programs. And so for those combination of reasons, we had many companies, what I'll call diving in the deep end and incorporating these relative TSR-based programs, in some instances being 100% weighted on the PSU component, which can often be the largest based pay element for a CEO. 
And what I've seen recently in the last several years, particularly with COVID and all the volatility and uncertainty that has come in the recent times, is companies sort of scratching their heads a bit and saying, is this really the right way to drive behaviors? I touched on the fact that it's more of an outcome-based metric rather than a way to drive certain performance or behaviors. And so I have several examples in my clients where they're either de-emphasizing the weighting of relative TSR if it had a really high weighting in the program, or shifting it from a explicitly weighted metric to a modifier metrics. So they might be picking financial-based metrics from the income statement or the balance sheet that they feel are really correlated with creating shareholder value that executives can touch and control much more effectively, and then using the TSR as an after-the-fact adjustment where you you can have an upward adjustment if you've done really well or downward adjustment if you've done poorly against that financial-driven outcome. And so one trend I would say I've seen is de-emphasizing of TSR and diversification of the performance metrics that are included to have a more comprehensive and robust assessment of performance. I just add on to that, Ryan. One of the industries I work in a lot is energy, and they've had some unique issues over the last five years or so on just in general. And one of the criticisms of relative TSR in that industry from shareholders actually is that the whole industry could be down and you could be paying really well despite the whole industry being down. So it's very unusual where you would have more than half of an industry over a three-year period be negative or have negative TSR, but it's happened in oil and gas. And if the whole industry is down, you're negative 10% and you're the top of the group, does it feel really good to pay 200% payout on that? And so I think that's where we've seen more in that industry, absolute TSR or other financial, other absolute metrics coming into play and saying, these are the things we also need to drive. We need to beat our peers for sure. But we also need to do have absolute good performance to be able to pay max payout. So we need both absolute and relative performance. Yeah. And then your point there on the energy industry, Chris, triggered a thought. A few years back, it seemed like we heard a fair amount of voices calling for basically a cap that if your absolute TSR was negative, regardless of how you compared to your peers, you should like, you know, let's say limit payouts at target. Are you still seeing that at all? Or do you have many clients that have have done that? Is that something that they're considering? So in the general industry, that's a minority practice. It's 25, 30% prevalence. In oil and gas, it's a majority practice. And that's because that industry has been, you know, specifically criticized. And if you think about it, most, like I said, most industries, it's unusual that that would actually come into play. In oil and gas, it actually has come into play in recent history. So it is more prevalent and it's an industry specific issue. Yeah. And particularly, Jim, to some of your comments, the, I think, growth in TSR use as a modifier, definitely seen that. Also, I've even seen a few cases where it's more of what we might call a kicker, where it really just modifies on the upside for really extraordinary performance, and it might, it might kick in those cases. So. Yeah, it's because it's really tricky. If you've got TSR in your program and you start to really have issues with the line of sight or the selection of a comparator group kinds of problems... Taking it out altogether can be really challenging from an optics perspective, investor communications perspective, that we're now taking TSR altogether out of the program. That's a tough story. So I think shifting to these kickers or modifiers is a really powerful and effective way to find that happy medium, in my experience. Jim, I think you probably agree with this, but it seems like the companies that, like you said, dove in the deep end and are maybe backing off, they probably don't fit some of those characteristics of companies where relative TSR makes a lot of sense. Like they don't have a really good peer group. It maybe picked a broad index that was a rough shot estimate or they, it just wasn't a good match for them. It seems like it's not necessarily backing off where it is a good metric. It's more backing off where it isn't a good metric. 
Yeah, particularly where, you know, you sometimes see relative TSR comparisons versus the S&P 500 or versus these general industry indices. And you really question how much share price correlation, how similarly does our share price move to many of the companies? And it really begs the question to your point in certain situations in REITs or in utilities, as I mentioned earlier, where there's really strong similarity in business model and, and share price movement. I think that backing off comment is probably not as applicable. Well, I think we'd all agree that TSR can be a very strong metric in the right circumstances and is particularly good at aligning shareholder outcomes with executive pay. In fact, I mean, it's almost the definition of shareholder outcomes. So you clearly have an alignment, but also many potential challenges that, that we talked about. So I think this has been a, an interesting and good conversation. Uh, Chris, Jim, thanks again for joining the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Executive Compensation Podcast. You can see more about this episode along with additional executive compensation insights at meridiancp.com. That's meridian, the letter C, and the letter P.com. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors. Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com.